0: In very simple terms, Siddhartha is about a man trying to understand himself and reality. It's about the Buddha, and simultaneously not about the Buddha. It helps to come into it knowing the story of the Buddha, who was raised in a palace built by his father, lived a really privileged life, sheltered from the outside world, then finally when he's in his 20s, I think he's exposed to the outside world, you know, to sickness and death, and he decides to become an ascetic. He decides to live a life of deprivation in order to try and find the path to eliminate suffering. And he developed this path of balance referred to as the middle way. The idea is that it transcends the limits of thinking in terms of things in the world as only good or bad. A balanced perspective, not living in the extremes. In an oversimplified way, that's what this story is about, as it demonstrates the importance of the good and bad experiences that allow for the enlightenment of the protagonist, Siddhartha.
1: Welcome, listeners, to another edition of Podcasts on Cedric Zdrast. This evening, we have gathered together an astute group of scholars to do a book review on Siddhartha, or I like to pronounce it Siddhartha because, of course, I am pretentious, by Hermann Hesse. So I'll allow my distinguished panel of guests to introduce themselves. We have firstly, all the way from East? Dull, East Yorkshire, the man himself, the pontifical... Yeah, hello, hello, everyone. Saint Nick is here from Dull. From Age Immemorium, we have...
2: <laughs> from... <laughs> I'll stop him there, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> Straight
1: from World War II, we have... <laughs> or was it one... We have Miss Louise Green, not her Miss, real name. I
2: haven't been Miss for about 50 years. Misses Mrs.
1: Like Mrs. Louise Green, not her real name. So, Hermann Hesse was a German-born poet, novelist and painter, although he had a German-Swiss nationality. He was renowned for his works which include Demian, Steppenwolf, and the book that we're going to be talking about today, which is Siddhartha notable act that he committed in his life was he, works, he worked against uh, Hitler's suppression of art and literature during the war, mm. uh, which resulted in uh, his own books then being banned from Nazi publications. Yeah. He also, interestingly, won the Nobel Prize in Literature. So, Louise, why
2: don't you tell us a little bit about Mr Hesse? I have taught him before. But it's a long time ago. I think, on the whole, I think if you want to sum, sum him up, he wrote quite a few novels. He wrote poetry, some of which has been immortalised by Richard Strauss. The famous Four Last Songs are based on his poems. So those are his poems. The novels, though, I think there are about ten altogether, something like that. There are great similarities in nearly all of them. They are nearly all bildungsromance. romance. Uh, each one is about the development of this personality as sometimes a young man, but sometimes a bit older. They're all novels of exploration and discovery, seeking the personal identity against a kind of backdrop of nature and civilization.
1: And this is especially pertinent in this book that we'll be talking about today, Siddhartha. I'll give you a little background on the book, and then I'll read you a really super review. So essentially, it's about a wealthy Indian Brahmin, which is a sort of Hindu priest who casts off a life of privilege to seek spiritual fulfillment. It's quite interesting because it's essentially the whole book is a a synthesis of three philosophies. So you have uh, Eastern religion, Jungian archetypes, and then Western individualism all present at once. And I'll read you this terrific review. It's on goodreads.com, and it's by a reviewer called Kemper. And he rated the book four stars, and here's his review of it. Spoiler alert, obviously. uh, We're going to be talking about plot points. So turn off now if you want to read the book. So here's the review. So there's a damn hippie in India called Siddhartha who is supposed to be seeking spiritual enlightenment but instead of going to a good Christian church like a normal person, he wanders around the woods for a while with some other damn hippies. After he meets Buddha, he finally gets tired of being broke-ass and homeless, and he goes into town where he makes a pile of money. This is good because everyone knows that engaging in capitalism is the only proper way to go through life. As a bonus, he also meets a beautiful woman. Then, just as he's having a good old time doing business, drinking, gambling, and making time with the woman, the dang old fool's hippie ideas pop up again, and he walks away from it all. Finally, Siddhartha thinks that this river is God or something stupid like that. It just didn't make any sense. Give me one of them Lee Child novels any day over this hippy, drippy crap. That Jack Reacher is a man's man.
2: (laughs) Is this really necessary? (laughs) Then he
1: goes, just kidding. Actually, this is an elegant allegory about a guy going through different phases as he pursues a lifelong quest to rid himself of his ego so that he can know true peace and enlightenment. It's filled with incredible writing and it's short and smart enough to hold the attention of even a doofus like me. I'd put this in the category of books that everybody should read at least once.
2: Well, I would have to disagree about many things in that regard, (laughs) (laughs) apart from the style I don't think this is his best novel. Not by a long way. I think his best is probably the first, um, Peter. Now let me get this right. Kamazind, I think it's called. And um, because all the other novels take something from that novel, the first
1: one, a seminal novel.
2: Yes, thank you. if <laughs> <laughs> I have said that later? <laughs> so I think his best really is that one and Steppenwolf so let's but move on that's ooh, not ooh. to say it's without much merit i just mean that for me i don't personally feel it was the great it's the greatest of his novels
1: let's move on to the quotations because you're all woefully unprepared uh, what i've done is i've uh i've gone on reddit me sent and uh, i've looked through it and found a read of it love and, and <laughs> to have picked out some quotes which uh which stood out to me, nothing too hard, yeah, uh, no, no, I'll, I'll keep that to myself, um, so <laughs> <a> first <laughs> you even buy me a drink <laughs> first quote, it is not for me to judge another life, I must judge for myself, I must choose and reject,
2: okay, what did you take from
1: that? Well, I'm terribly judgmental at times, and um it sort of tied in with me with something that RuPaul said what other people think of me is not of my damn business which I think is great and it sort of tied in with that so uh, it's not for me to judge another life and of course uh, being very odd myself I get judged a lot uh, negatively especially especially in in the, in the sphere of uh, the profession that I'm in
2: I think that was a, a part of his struggle for self-awareness on the idea that which we'll come back to this later actually that to be fully self-aware, you have to lose self.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. So, in the Buddhist way. And so this struggle not to be um, aware of what others thought of you was, I suppose, in the beginning for him, was one of the hardest things.
1: And this is what this quote is about, this sort of losing of self.
2: Because he struggled with that so much.
1: Hess himself. Mm -hmm. Here's the second quote. The thinker, slowly going on his way, suddenly stood still, gripped by this thought, and another thought immediately arose from this one. It was, the reason why I do not know anything about myself, the reason Siddhartha has remained alien and unknown to myself, is due to one thing, to one single thing. I was afraid of myself. I was fleeing from myself. I was seeking Brahman, Atman. I wished to destroy myself to get away from myself in order to find the unknown innermost, the nucleus of all things. Atman, life, the divine, the absolute. But by doing so, I lost myself along the way. Yeah. And he That's goes on to say, I will learn from myself the secret of Siddhartha.
2: That's a good summary of the novel itself, mm. really, in yeah. a few lines. In Steppenwolf, well, no, we're not talking about he really develops that point about being afraid almost of self, because the, the wolf is a wolf. It represents his animal side, the animal side, which he was quite afraid of that. And there's a, another point, uh, philosophically, which we can come to later, that cuts stems from that. Because mm. he's, you know, he's very philosophical. Right? What do you think, St Nick? Yeah. I suppose it's it, it is part
3: of the... As Louis said, the, the point of self-discovery is the major theme of it. I think of, always in the book there's something, there's tugging from Eastern and then the Western tradition of, you know, Eastern is much more about removing the ego, the West is more about, I suppose, know thyself, as Socrates would say. In that sense, um, he, he spins the, the the story of the Buddha by, well, by separating uh, the Buddha into two different characters where you have both... Gautama, the illustrious one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Gautama, yeah and, and then Siddhartha as a separate character yeah. who almost has to find his, his, Gautama, own, yes, yes. his own way, which is much more, I suppose, Western. It was the more teacher, into, Gautama, wasn't it? Gautama, yeah. yes, because the, the, the Buddha. Yeah. But, but it, he deliberately separated Buddha into two different characters.
2: There are a lot of oppositions like that in this his work. Another one is between the Apollonian view and the Dionysian view, which, is, again, philosophically, he took that from uh, Nietzsche, I think. Mm-hmm. But that was important to him because the Apollonian side was the one, rationalism, order, and so on, which, of course, is German, from that side of this mm-hmm. way Teutonic, And the Dionysian side was about animal urges, you know, living well, sort of living it up, disorder, chaos. And that figures all the time. I think. What, you, what do you think wins out? I think with him, he probably hopes for the Apollonian side. Okay. Really, I don't think the Dionysian side would win with him, no. nor with any. Although
3: Siddhartha in the novel has to live the more Dionysians in
1: discovering himself to, sexually, but he doesn't end with it. But he doesn't does end with it. End with it no. No. So moving on to the next quote, both thought and the senses were fine things. Behind both of them lay hidden the last meaning. It was worthwhile listening to them both, to play with both, neither to despise nor overrate either of them, but to listen intently to both voices. Hmm. This is thought and the senses.
2: That's what we've just been saying, isn't, exactly. Been saying, isn't it? Exactly. So it. again. So, hmm. sure. I think he was probably quite a conflicted person. In, in, I know we shouldn't necessarily go to his life when yeah. we're speaking about the works. But we all are in a way, mm. we
3: all reason and we all, but at the same time we're sense and emotion, yeah. aren't we? Yeah. So we're all and and that's,
1: in fact that's what came out today, Cameron uh, was talking about the the referendum Leave, leave and Remain campaigns and he said... You've managed to get Brexit and RuPaul
2: and <laughs> an you know, <laughs> Hesse, Hesse. Hesse, yes I have,
1: <laughs> because that's the kind of guy I am. He was God. saying awesome. he was saying about how Remain campaigned on sort of facts and logic, whereas Leave campaigned on emotions. emotions yeah. So it's this duality of A, thought and, and senses. But emotion, and, emotion and lies. lies. <laughs> emotion in <laughs> that case. emotion you? did win in that case.
2: How has he got done. the neck to make this apology? Look at he's done. He's riven the whole country apart, it split us.
1: He's also now working. looking to make
2: money from the memoirs. People of course, can buy them. Yes. <laughs>
1: Well, he's on a million pound a year job as a manager of a Chinese hedge fund now. It's just good. Let's it's move good back wrong. to some joy, self-discovery. Let's go back into the past. <laughs> Let's just go back to 2010, elect labour and see what happens. So, uh, he who was still a boy as regards love was inclined to plunge to the depths of it, blindly and insatiably was taught by her that one cannot have pleasure without giving it. And that every gesture, every caress, every touch, every glance, every single part of the body has its secret, which can give pleasure to one who can understand. She taught him that lovers should not separate from each other after making love without admiring each other, without being conquered as well as conquering. That is a line from uh, Revelation 6 in the King James Bible, by the way, Mm -hmm. Uh, without being conquered as well as conquering so that no feeling of satiation or desolation arises, nor the horrid feeling of misusing or having been misused.
2: Mm. Well, that's an interesting combination of his own feelings about love and what women do for him, and a bit of the mystical side, really. Unity of opposites, man and woman, and all that.
3: What do you think, Nick? Yeah, well, I did find that bit in their novel very, um, yeah, quite moving and very... um interesting that he took a quite a sensitive attitude to sex and the side of giving in sex as Mm. well as taking i thought that was
2: quite interesting i tend to feel he was looking to save himself through it through this book no through sex through sex. through emotion which again fits in with the rational side and then the i think it's a remarkable transition because at
1: this point siddhartha has been a Brahmin priest for the hindus he's been a samana which means uh, by the glossary definition in the book uh, literally a person who abandons the conventional obligations of social life in order to find a way of life more in tune sama with the ways of nature
2: yeah i thought it was a secret
1: and at this point he transitions from that to being a sort of western individualist money and sex obsessed character so he goes through the sort of three main philosophical archetypes and this is before halfway through the book his journey to self discovery was through experiencing everything and then realizing which sort of chimes well with huxley's belief that in order to be a well-rounded person you need to have was read about to say you need to have read from at least three or four different yes. sources before forming an opinion
2: that's a well-known view of that experience everything yeah in order to come to any understanding and
1: hmm.
2: well, it makes sense
1: the next quote comes from the fourth section of his life uh, which is when he's decided to leave the city he's decided that western individualism was not for him and he's feeling very forlorn and lost and he goes to the river where he falls asleep and meets his old friend govinda where he was a brahmin and a samana with so he says remember my dear govinda the world of appearances is transitory the style of our clothes and hair is extremely transitory our hair and our bodies are themselves transitory he goes on to say, the wheel of appearances revolves quickly.
2: And, and that's a device as well, which is really well known, isn't it, in any kind of literature, especially classical literature? Falling asleep hmm. and then waking to an understanding. It's an allegory in itself. And I think that's not the only novel, is it, where that happens? In classical literature, that happens a number of times.
1: So this is going on, this next quote is going on from the point of experiencing everything. You have already learned from the river that it is good to strive downwards, to sink, to seek the depths. Do
3: you seek depths?
0: Good question.
1: He's yeah. saying you have to sort of go down to your
3: worst possible
1: self in order to realise. Well, yeah, yeah,
3: I suppose so, yeah. that, that you, The idea um, that you come from the depths to go up, which actually in some ways is a very Christian idea that... You go from being a great sinner to suddenly being a a saint, that you have to almost, it's better to come from that position. You have to hit rock bottom to to, to really solve yourself. And I suppose that's what Siddhartha does. He really hits rock bottom. The the way it describes it, so that's what had a massive, powerful effect on me, because the way he describes it being disgusted with himself, just completely sick and having a malaise.
2: Right, this is the playing out of the Apollonian and the Dionysian. The end point of the life of the senses is where you end up with nothing mm. you go right through everything yeah. every vice mm. every taste everything until there is there's nothingness in a way but what he's saying is that that's not the nothingness that he seeks this is being played out it's having nothing left in reserve but it's not nirvana it's the opposite
3: there's but, a but i think you've hit the nail on the head that hmm. but there's almost it's a funny attendant. thing in the novel that you have to go the sensual yeah. way to then reject
2: it. In a way, yes. It's funny because it's, it's and contradictory, it's an but yeah. To do that. Exactly. To it's seek extra experience that you know you will achieve, what it is you're seeking through experience? What you want to achieve though is nothingness. Do this you think peace? Peace. Nirvana. You,
1: well, yes, he's always looking for nirvana, peace. isn't he?
2: This is about someone going through all these excesses to, in a way, trying to achieve something through it, yeah. and it doesn't.
1: But, but well he, do, he what does else? he does at oh, the okay. end because he he goes on to realize that actually he's been looking for a teaching or a way of life all his life to which he can conform in order yeah. to find peace. left in the wrong place this week. Exactly mm-hmm. and he realizes that actually and he realizes from mm-hmm. Gautama at the beginning uh, when he sees him he realizes mm-hmm. that he while he appreciates the teachings he doesn't think that he can be taught by Mm -hmm. scripture, by conventional. And he goes on to say, Mm. when someone is seeking, said Siddhartha, it happens quite easily that he only sees the thing that he is seeking, that he is unable to find anything, unable to absorb anything, because he is only thinking of the thing he is seeking, because he has a goal, because he is obsessed with his goal. Seeking means to have a goal, but finding means to be free, to be receptive, to have no goal. Mm.
2: He means intellectually. You can't grasp it just by thinking.
3: Well, I was just going to say, in Wilde's personal life, he really hit rock bottom when he went to prison. prison. Oh, what, yeah. what was the thing he wrote at prison? Oh, he De wrote, Profundis. Yeah, from the depths. So, yeah. Yeah. I suppose De that's profundis. depths, isn't it?
1: That's very beautiful. Actually. So, going from that point, he says, uh, wisdom is not communicable. The wisdom which a man tries to communicate always sounds foolish. Knowledge can be communicated, but not wisdom.
2: That's a good point.
1: That's yeah, that's a very good. I thought that's an one of the important points.
2: Mm-hmm. That's an important quotation. Mm.
3: But it's very ironic that a book puts this yeah, yeah. message that you can't learn from teaching. Trying or to speech. capture yeah. some wisdom, you've got to learn from life. But you're <laughs> learning that from a book. Yeah. Yeah. Let's make some connections there,
2: now. Then that connects with the whole spirit of Romanticism. Okay, from coming up from the nineteenth century. Oh, coming up. Yeah. Knowledge. Remember, Keats says it. My yeah. favourite. He believes things should meaning meaning comes not thought, but from feeling, from beauty. So, okay, and I think that's connected. And he's saying he's actually showing us that mm-hmm. same thing. But it, this is now what the twentieth century. When was this written? Nineteen
1: twenty-two. So there was a, a,
2: a bit of a neo-romanticism thing then, in especially art. So I think that's probably where that's coming from. The interest in this particular topic: how we know things, how do we gain? Going on from that, here's another
1: one. Everything that is thought and expressed in words is one-sided, one half of the truth. It lacks, it all lacks totality, completeness, unity. He says, in every truth, the opposite is equally true.
2: A dialectic. Mm. The dialectic, it's just an essential dialectic, isn't it? Between here, um, knowledge on one hand, and understanding, on the other. It means the, the same thing, but in opposite terms.
3: It's this thesis the, antithesis, yeah. it? The same thing, and he also
1: says that not only are teachings one sided and what is thought and expressed one sided, but he says that also everyone is everything at once. And let me explain that further. He says, The sinner is not on the way to a Buddha like state, he is not evolving, although our thinking cannot conceive things otherwise. No, the potential Buddha already exists in the sinner, his future is already oh, there.
2: That's that is a very Buddhist idea. Isn't mm. it? That we all contain within us that essential, nothingness
1: I I love this one, this quote that follows from it. He says, The world, Govinda, is not imperfect or slowly evolving along a long path to perfection. No, it is perfect at every moment. Every sin carries grace with it. All small children are potential old men. All sucklings have death within them. All dying people, eternal life. As a dying person, what do you make of that? (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll all (laughs) dying at
3: different rates.
2: No, but this—I don't think it's an unusual of you. I mean, I think it's very mystical Eastern mysticism. In that nothingness is is already with us. We're we are because they don't believe in God. They don't mm. believe in God as we do. For them, there is this this nothingness is, that they seek to achieve is already within. Mm. You've got to seek it. And I suppose
3: that there's an idea at the end of the Siddhartha mm. that he's almost sceptical of time, of the passage yes. of time, Yes, time time's an illusion. Yes. He's saying, I'll, I'll read you the quote that Nick's just mentioned mm.
1: Time is not real, Govinda, I have realised this repeatedly, and if time is not real, then the dividing line that seems to lie between this world and eternity, between suffering and bliss between good and evil, is also an illusion.
2: Yes, and that does unite Western and Eastern, mm. because if you are um, a Christian, then you believe that there is eternity. Anyway, Eternity standing here all the time. We are alive. is here. And the Easterns believe that as well. But in a different way. In a different way. They don't believe in paradise. Yeah. But Nirvana is a paradise, isn't Mm, it? Yeah. Because there's no knowledge, nothing.
1: I have a penultimate quote for you, and then I'll read you my favourite. This is the sort of conclusion he's come to after having lived these four different lives. I learned through my body and soul that it was necessary for me to sin, that I needed lust, that I had to strive for property and experience nausea and the depths of despair in order to learn not to resist them, in order to learn to love the world and no longer compare it with some kind of desired imaginary world, some imaginary vision of perfection, but to leave it as it is, to love it and be glad to belong to it.
2: So what does that remind you of, I may ask that question? Existentialism. 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 Sartre says virtually that, that Being and Nothingness is one of his novels, and it is very philosophical, and in that, he aspires as just this. We must go through it and experience it, you know, They have people in the novels who experience pain by cutting themselves, so that they can experience, get right through it, and experience peace through nothingness, so there's a modern connection there. Sartre is only probably a decade later, begins writing. That's quite modern as well. But then he is regarded as quite modern. Yes, yeah. mm. In spite of writing in 1922,
1: yeah, yes, it is, it is remarkably fresh. Yeah. I think that's in part due to the, the very simple prose that's used. So he's not, he's, mm. he's not using any sort of dated language. He's not using any time-specific uh, vernacular. He's sort of writing in a very clear, yeah. succinct way.
3: Well, it, it is simple German, because I've read a bit bit of Hesse and it's the easiest mm-hmm. German prose to read because it is quite simple. Mm-hmm. Okay, so quite if, if anyone course. wanted to learn a good way to do it would be through Hesse as well. Yeah, possible. I couldn't say about German. Because books Thomas books. Mann on the other hand is yes, probably impossible. Yes, a different, yeah, different kettle of fish. Which is much more complicated, right, yeah. uh, prose style.
2: And again, I wouldn't know, I've only read them in
1: translation. Okay, ladies and gents, we've arrived at the final quote. Most people, Kamala, are like a falling leaf that drifts and turns in the air, flutters and falls to the ground. But a few others are like stars which travel one defined path. No wind reaches them. They have within themselves their guide and path. No, this is
3: what I don't like in Hesse mm, yes, because it's like very it patronising yes. of the um, common... And and what, he's what's the speaking word to means, her, so?
2: he's speaking to this his lover, is, did he Kamala? marry her? No, no.
3: no, no, no he they had a kid. But so didn't.
2: again, that's patronising yeah. in the beginning because he's explaining it. What's Sorry, the word he
3: uses for the average person? He talks about yeah. the little people,
1: doesn't he? Yeah, most people, Kamala, are like a falling leaf that drifts and turns in the air, flutters <laughs> and falls to the ground. You who are without this awareness. You know, yeah, exactly. Some of the... the, the... So, the same. Yeah. Wouldn't hearing something like that make you strive for awareness?
2: No. No, not personally, but... Yeah, you mean, you're fairly aware. The reader, aware. You mean generally? He thought he was espousing yeah. this way of being. That's so what he's trying to do. He's teaching. Yeah. yeah, all the novels teach. They're all they're all quite didactic. Don't you they're think all it? very. They oh, are. I don't know. I've not read they're any mission. novel
3: apart from this, but they I've seen the plots, and they're all very similar. But yeah. as you say, self discovery. He yeah. does go on.
1: It through. is an obsession. Yeah. Sort of, it was an obsession. Yeah. Yeah. It's it an obsession.
3: In a sort of patronising yeah. way, he goes on
1: to say. Uh, I am like you, you cannot love either, otherwise how could you practice love as an art? Perhaps people like us cannot love, ordinary people can, that is their secret.
2: We've heard this in so many guises. Um, in fact, I was just finishing reading something now, Sylvia Plath say said something very similar. No, no. Only certain people have this intensity feeling. Almost. Mm. And,
3: uh, can I ask, does anyone think that's true or...? Do we, do we think the average person is...
2: There's a question.
3: Are, yeah. we, are we... Are we the average people? I are we the average even people? I agree with
2: it. And it's terrible. I think I would. Yeah. I think I would also...
3: But did you think, the at the same token the average person has something that people like Hesse don't have, which is... Because <laughs> knowing a bit about his personal life, which is the ability to have a... You know, be divorced thousands of times and, as he was, uh, oh. and live a more functional life, which he, he didn't do. So the average person has he something did, above... He? Uh, yes, true.
2: but this again, we, we mentioned Sartre, meant wrestled with this, I've quoted this before to mm. say saw that there were people who were intellectually very aware, a bit like him, then there were the others. Thank you. And he would give them a... <laughs> sorry, I'm not pointing at you. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, I quoted it to you in mm. words, I would give them the present of a finder, yes. uh, Because these were people who were... They were people. And they he's dealing with that as a socialist, yes, isn't he? and yeah. he was. Fine was democratic a... smile and they must that's love right. me. And then they must love me. Oh, you remember it. Yeah,
3: of course. That's a very good crowd, you mm. yeah.
1: And
2: uh, so that's this idea. It's the same idea. A number of writers have juggled with it. All right,
3: me. guys. Final impressions. Saint Nick. Yeah, that's a, the novel I really enjoyed. I um, found it quite moving and place. So I think we should do Steppenwolf. Yes. I, we I should would love do to do Steppenwolf.
2: Well, because I don't remember this very <laughs> <laughs> You've I'm done just, a very good job. I've just been winging it because I don't remember job. it. I, I read it a remember couple of months ago and I didn't say as much. And it so. came to me just as you said the name. I thought, oh, wasn't that a woman? This is his, his lover or something. Uh, his general his general works, yes. And I think we hit on it at the end. A lot of it is his quest for intellectual realisation as well as personal spiritual.
1: Final word from me. I thought it's a very moving book. This sort of iteration of Cedric is going through somewhat of a transitory period at the moment. To read literature which pertains to the subject and to understand something of somebody else's sort of struggle is very enlightening to me. And I was very grateful to my dear friend Rishi, who is on the Tuesdays with Mori podcast, for introducing me to Siddhartha, which I then gave to Nick, who then gave to me, and then I read it. So it's been through three people, and I, I, I just I think it's really quite an astonishing read, an important book,
0: yeah,
1: an important book. One of the ones which indeed you yes, should yes, yes. you should read, <clears throat> and it's so short that you have <throat> no excuse not to read it, uh, unless of course you're blind.
2: Um, may May I add one more thing? Well, well plet- you must have plet- the last plet- word. No, no, let's go. On. F. Scott Fitzgerald was also along had thought along these lines, and he actually devised a reading list for his lover, mm-hmm. a woman How oh, condescending um, <laughs> A huge reading list <laughs> <laughs> <You were touched laughs> of How very condescending <laughs> Yes, well, that's what I'm saying Hesse was on that list as well as many, many Gosh. other writers but he, he actually did this the, and I found that fundamentally condescending But yeah. the lover received it as it was meant to be given which he thought he was trying to improve from. That was, that was just an interesting art about people condescending mightily to people, especially women. Uh, what a wonderful... <laughs> f-
1: uh, well, before we open that kettle of fish, uh, thank you very much, St. Saint- Nick. <laughs> <laughs> that kettle of bits <laughs> Thank you very much, St. Nick, for coming. Uh, thank you, you, thank you, Louise, for uh, crawling out of your coffin and making it here. And uh, thank you to Matthew Our silent sp-
2: partner.
1: Thank you to our silent partner <laughs> for... <laughs> the sitting
2: back yeah. in made 100 words. <laughs>
1: uh, see you on the next edition of uh, podcasts Thank on Suggest.
0: But I found this quote in The Will to Power, which I have not read, but I liked this quote. If we affirm one single moment, we thus affirm not only ourselves, but all existence. For nothing is self sufficient neither in us, ourselves, nor in things. And if our soul has trembled with happiness and sounded like a harp string just once, all eternity was needed to produce this one event. And in this single moment of affirmation, all eternity was good, redeemed, justified, and affirmed. That's beautiful.